This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I am joined today and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, uh, my business partner, my buddy, my mate, my best pal, Mr. Jason (laughs) Johnston Yellen. (laughs) Well, I just kept going and I didn't want to interrupt you. I quite liked where that was all leading. So thank you for that introduction. You're very welcome. I think I, I have a few more, but... I oh, just, save them, surely. Thank you, because I didn't want to give you too big a head. Oh, gosh, no. Nope. No. It's been interesting, just for the benefits of the listeners. We've actually spent 35 minutes just catching up with one another before we've actually started the recording of this podcast. Yes, we did. Not talking every day for a week. There was a few things to catch up on. It's a lot to catch up on. Um, <laughs> the 35 minutes isn't even the beginning of getting caught up. We, we haven't even scratched the surface. <laughs> and, you know, as, as, soon as, you've, as soon as you've told people, you know, you know, not talking every day has, you know, it's been kind of weird and we have to catch up. Like, I, for like a split second, put myself in the shoes of the listener and pictured what our daily conversations must be like. Oh yeah, they're endless. And how they end. And I just want to let everybody know the way they end is no, you hang up first. No, no, you hang <laughs> up first. No. Okay, on the count of three, let's hang up together. One, two, ah, you didn't hang up. That's how it always ends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thankfully we have those really long cords on our telephones. So they can stretch from room to room to room. That's we are both living in 1980s American sitcoms. Oh, and then Haida comes in while I'm on the phone, like, leave me alone, and I slam the door on her. <laughs> she knows you're on the phone with Jason because yeah. the cord goes underneath the door. <laughs> and the door's shut. Lock myself in the bathroom. Oh, so I good. used to do that. I legitimately did that when talking to friends in high school. Same. I would, I would absolutely lock myself in the bathroom so I could talk to them. People don't talk on the phone anymore. Do you know that? They don't. They just text and use WhatsApp and you know Snapchat. It's a different time, Joshua. It is a different time. Yeah. yeah that, you, go ahead. My, my kid turns nine tomorrow. You and I are recording this on May the 4th. May the 4th be with you, and, Joshua. And may the 4th be with you. And also with you. And uh, yeah, it's his birthday tomorrow. He turns nine. What's the number one item on his uh, birthday wish list? A new telephone. Not just, a, not just a phone. A new phone. That's the life he's leading. So does he have service? Does your kid have he, service? He, does, he has Wi-Fi access, but yeah. he does not yeah, have right. cell service. Okay. The 12-year-old does have cell service. Same with my 12-year-old. But he has a flip phone and he hates it. Because it's a flip phone. (laughs) And again, this is where we live nowadays. The 12-year-old is upset with cell service on a flip phone. Because that's not why he wants it. He wants the cell service so he can access all the apps that his friends use, like Snapchat and Pornhub and (laughs) and all of those other things. (laughs) Sounds like everything is uncle accessing. (laughs) 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 <laughs> That's a small world after all. 
It's a small world after all. Yeah, yeah. I knew you couldn't resist that. I couldn't. Eh? Do you? It's rem- so funny. Yeah, the twelve-year-old yeah. comes home from middle school now, and we'll be sitting at the dinner table, and now out of nowhere, he'll just turn around and go, "Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there." <laughs> you can't help yourself. You can't right? help you yourself. Can't, you can't help yourself. It's about a middle school student controlling the adults at the table. <laughs> Made you say something you didn't control yourself. <laughs> Yeah, like like every time I, you know, we're at the dinner table and I say, everyone's a bit of a, and my daughter say, sometimes. <laughs> it's very similar to our house, very similar. <laughs> sure there are listeners that resonates with. Oh, the question is, do I beep the C word? <laughs> I would say yes. <laughs> Um, last thing before before we actually move into this episode, we have an episode. That's what we're doing, isn't it? I, I tell you, last time I just interviewed you, I think that worked out great. You know, I thought it did too, and, I, and I've got to tell you, we we got some fantastic uh, feedback from that episode, and we had a question about that, and we're, we're going to get to that a bit later in the All episode. Right. Yeah. Oh gosh, we have um, an email later in the episode. Yeah. Do you did growing up? Did you have your own phone line, or did you share no, it? No, that was purely an American endeavor. Was it an American endeavor. Okay. Absolutely, oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, okay. we were lucky to have a single phone line into the house. Right. Did you? Oh wait, wait a second. Oh my gosh, that's right. One of your first jobs was as an operator, wasn't it? You are correct. As an international operator, yeah. So, you know... <laughs> wow, here- you pulled that one out of somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I picture you, like, as... Um, oh, shit, what's her name from Saturday Night Live? Um, oh, what the fuck's her name? She's in uh, that new show with Jane Fonda now. <laughs> Lily Tomlin. Lily Tomlin used to play... <laughs> A. That woman of Saturday Night Live, Lily Tomlin. Was she on Saturday Night Live? You have to be, you, you have to experience Saturday Night Live in the 1970s to pull Lily Tomlin as that woman from Saturday Night Live out of your hat. Do you know how old we are, Jason? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were meaning like like Sicily, the woman that's on the new version of it. You know, I, I thought you were maybe talking about Tina Fallon or T- uh, Tina Fey, uh, Tina, Tina Fey, <laughs> Amy Poehler. Like, no, 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 no. Even even they they haven't been on Saturday Night Live in like fifteen years, and you're pulling people from the seventies because it was a skit she did as an <laughs> operator. God, this is a long way. I know we tend to go long ways for shortcuts, but this is an especially <laughs> long way for a shortcut. Okay, so Lily Tomlin, that yeah. woman from Saturday Night Live. So, so, and then she didn't do any work until she appeared on Grace and Frankie with Jane Fonda. Carry on. No, that's not true. She was in Nine to Five. <laughs> I didn't know you knew that. So what a way to I make thought you only knew her from Saturday Night Live. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, you know, you do you being come for the jokes about Lily Tomlin, <laughs> stay for the whiskey. <laughs> I just picture you as Lily Tomlin, as a uh, you know, as a as an international 
operator. I'm going to be incredibly generous here. I'm going to say if as much as 1% of our audience knows which skate you're talking about right now, mm-hmm. I will be amazed. Here's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> All our listeners have to do is just Google Lily Tomlin operator and the skit will come up and everything that we've talked about will be made that much more funny. Well, I would, I would throw this in too. If they're going to go to the interwebs yeah. and they're going to go to the Google machine, you should look up Lily Tomlin. Mm-hmm. There was a, 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 an awards event okay. that uh, the guy who did My Girlfriend's Boyfriend, um, I blank his name all the time and I absolutely love him as a comedian. Oof, that part I don't know. Uh, my girlfriend's boyfriend. Oh, why am I totally blanking on him? I do this all the time. Uh, his most recent one is Thank God for Jokes. Fuck. This is all you know, beyond me. You know exactly who I'm talking about. Oh, fuck. And every time I see his name afterwards, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course it is. Yeah. Um, he does Sleepwalk with me. Oh, uh, Mike Birbiglia. Mike Birbiglia. You're yeah. exactly yep. correct, sir. Yep, yep, yep. So he was hosting, an, Mike Birbiglia was hosting an awards show. Yep. And the director of I Heart Huckabees, who also was the director of uh, American Graffiti. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, is getting a Lifetime Achievement Award. Nice. And Mike Barbiglia quotes what he said, and I should say what he screamed at Lily Tomlin on the set of I Heart Huckabees. <laughs> It's amazing. And it uses the same beep button that you just beeped. It's amazing. So, yes, search for Mike Berbiglia, Lily Tomlin, acceptance speech, and uh, you will be heartily rewarded. (laughs) Okay. Those are both very long ways for shortcuts. Okay. Okay. So, anyway, yeah. Yeah. So, I just, I like picturing you as Lily Tomlin. (laughs) Um, But, yeah. So, Getting back to what you had said before, that's that's the mm. rewind sound. People were really complimentary mm. regarding our previous episode where you interviewed me, and we discussed the keeper of the quake. Uh, basically, the keepers of the quake, what it is, and the experience that we had uh, being part of the banquet, but. Mark Williams, who you will remember, he was uh, a New Haven guy. We actually drank with him in his backyard. He lives in Kentucky now. Yes, I do. Um, And he's working for a couple distilleries, I think. He shot a message and saying, for a whiskey podcast. Oh, boy. As great as it was, as entertaining as it was. Oh, boy. You know what? I'm not going to. You know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to paraphrase him. Oh, boy. I'm going Here we to go. We're going straight to the quote. Yeah. yeah, he says, I enjoyed listening to your Keepers of the Quake well, induction. Wait, wait a second. That, that was, there was no editing there. You had that ready in the barrel. Do you just keep that like on your home screen or something? You were ready to read that at a moment's notice. I, I had just had it open before, <laughs> before we hopped on the, the phone. You've read it every day since he sent it. I'm... That's the thing. I am reciting it from memory. (laughs) (laughs) He says, uh, I enjoyed listening to your Keepers of the Quake induction story today while driving to Columbus 
for an art opening. For whiskey podcasts, though, you really left me hanging. What whiskeys were being poured at the event? Question mark, exclamation point. Oh, interesting. Yeah. He said, you should mention this on the next podcast. Were you given choices or were they all be, or, excuse me, or were they all pre-poured? Was it a special blend? Inquiring minds want to know. He is smart to ask that question, and you and I purposely left it out of that episode. We did. And this one, I said, I said we were being diplomatic. Yes. Yes. I think the safest response is to say they were pre-poured, mm-hmm. as Mark suggests there. Yeah. They were designed to go with each course of the dinner. Mm-hmm. So they were f- driven by flavor profiles. Mm-hmm. I think the the difficulty is you and I drink a lot of single casks bottled by multiple independent bottlers at natural cast strength. If we're not drinking independently bottled single casks at natural cast strength, we're drinking distillery releases at natural cast strength. Mm-hmm. And on the night, nothing that they poured was cask strength. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure we got higher than 46% alcohol. And that was the bottle that we took from another table <laughs> with, with their blessing. It was a swap with yep, their blessing. That's right. That's right. And um, yeah, so I, I wouldn't say the, the whiskey selection, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm using a somewhat coarse phrase here. I, I wouldn't say the whiskey selection knocked us on our RCs. But yeah. they were decent little drams that went great with the food. So so this is what I told him because I, I I'm did, still not gonna name them just for the record. I'm not gonna name them either. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just for but, the record. But this is what I told him. I said the whiskies were great, but nothing out of the ordinary. No single casks or nothing really old or rare. Yeah. Right? However, Oh. Now that you are a keeper, yes. y- you have had access mm. to something that is both old and rare. <laughs> so one of the perks, and this is, this is a more <laughs> recent perk of becoming a keeper of the quake, because they only started doing this three, actually four years ago, with last year being the third year they did this, where... There are now special single-cast bottlings for the Keepers of the Quake. That's really exciting. Yeah. And I was lucky to get the last one that came out, which was an 18-year-old single cask of Talisker from a single sherry butt at full cast strength, 56-point-something. Yum, yum, Um, yum. So I'm looking forward to that. But Jason, I noticed that you just grabbed a bottle. What what, what is it that you just grabbed? Something incredibly delicious that will fit beautifully with the subject of today's episode. So A, what is it? And B, what is the subject? (laughs) Well, the good news is, as I've learned over the years of doing this, we have a masthead so that listeners already know exactly <laughs> who the subject is. Right. Um, and so I'm not worried about dropping in the name Sam Filmus of Impex Beverages at this point. 
also a keeper of the quake. Also a keeper of the quake. Well, gosh, look at these links that we make. This is flawless. <laughs> and when I first got introduced to Sam, and we're talking maybe maybe 2009, uh, maybe 2010, the first mm-hmm. time I met Sam or even spoke with him on the phone, the thing that I took away from meeting Sam is that he was importing Aaron and he was importing Kilholman. Mm-hmm. And he and Impex were doing a tremendous job of representing these two small, independently owned Scottish distilleries. Yes. Yep. And the reason that it resonated is, as I've mentioned a few times, I grew up on the the southwest uh, coast of Scotland uh, in Ayrshire uh, that looks over the water at Arran. Mm-hmm. So to know the man who was bringing Aaron distillery product into America was a big deal for me. And to know that he also was bringing in Colhoman, I didn't visit Colhoman for the first time until 2009, but to know that he was bringing in Colhoman as well really showed me where his whiskey interests lay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question... Well, actually, I'm going to pull a Joshua. A, I'm going to put a pin in that, and B, I'm going to back it up a little. Oh, and I'm, <laughs> wow. That's a, that's a one-two punch. <laughs> I'm learning from the best, mate. <laughs> so um, I've mentioned many times on the podcast, I still run a whiskey society in the inland northwest uh-huh. of the United States. Uh-huh. Uh, we're on the Palouse, which uh-huh. is Moscow, uh, Idaho, and Pullman, Washington, and the, the countryside, the farmland, roundabout there. And this last year, we did verticals at every meeting where we, if available, we would start with New Make Spirit and then we would go through the distilleries lineup. And so I, the very first meeting of what was year 15, I did a Colhoman vertical and we launched with the Colhoman New Make, Mm -hmm. which was very well received. Mm-hmm. Very, very it good new so make spirit. Good. Yes. It's exceptional. So wonderfully oily and silky and tasty. However, when you pour it <laughs> next to the mature product, uh-huh. you really get to see the limitations of new make spirit. Oh, yeah. You get to yeah. see, oh, this does still need a bit of wood structure. Oh, this does need a little bit of um, wood flavor right? Some of the spices in there. It does, you does need that additional complexity. So the winner of the night, and we poured the Macrobay, Seneg, Loch Gorm, mm. uh, an Impex selected single cask for the whiskey shop in San Francisco. Oh, wow. Okay. And the one that I have in front of me right now, which was the favorite of the night, mm-hmm. Kilholman original cask strength. Oh, yeah. Which is quarter cask maturation. Oh, so the second one. Yeah, I can see yeah. why that would win. It's yep. Distilled 2010, yeah. bottled 2016. So what you're saying is I should probably pour a Kilholman, shouldn't I? I 100% think you should. And while, while you're doing that, okay. let, let me speak to our listeners. On the front of the label, it says original cask strength. And when you turn the bottle around, it says quarter cask matured. And so that's how I happen to know 
that this is the quarter-cast matured release of the original cask strength. So uh, by, by reading the label, that's, that's how you know? But here's the thing, Joshua. You have to turn the bottle around. It's not just in front of you. The information is on the back. Bottled at 56.9% alcohol. And I'll give you this. Noah's powerful citrus and floral notes with soft peat smoke. Palette. Mouth coating, sweet, well-rounded with soft peat, interwoven with cooked fruits and vanilla. Finish, long and clean with maritime salt and lingering soft peat smoke. Which reminds me of what you and I were discussing in our last episode, the difference between um, peat reek and smoke. And we got feedback from our wonderful friend, Jessica Lomas, yeah. who was saying... She was so happy to hear us talk about that difference because it's one of the things that she talks about and always wonders about at her tastings is where does peat live, where does smoke live, and what's the difference yeah. between the two of them. Yeah. And so given how many tastings Jessica runs, I was really honoured to hear from her that she found our conversation helpful. That's awesome. I know yeah, exactly that's... what you poured from the neck ring. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is this is my favorite Kilhoman to date. However, I tasted one at the distillery four days ago. Yes, I was at Kilhoman Distillery just four days ago. The new STR cask. STR mm -hmm. means shaved, toasted, and recharred. This, this is a new term being bandied about everywhere. And you, you, people are going to start seeing it popping here, there, and everywhere. And that one, I need to do a side-by-side -side of that one and this, which, by the way, dear listener, is the original Sauterne cast matured Kilhoman. It's brilliant, brilliant whiskey. Was the um, Sauterne, the original Sauterne, 2015 or 2016? It was 2016. Okay. I say that as somebody who doesn't have three bottles of it. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the richness of the Sauterne just comes through so nicely with this, marries so well with, mm. with Kilhoman spirit, but that STR cask is so fruity and also amplifies the peat as well. And um, SDR is going to be on general availability, right? Yeah, it's coming to the US, yeah. for example. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I think they bottled about four, you know, like 14,000. I think I saw that like number. That. Yeah. 14,000. Yeah. yeah. Have to get me one of those. Well, if you play your cards right. Oh, do I know a guy? <laughs> so, anyway, you have a Kilhoman <laughs> in here. <laughs> and you will notice, dear listener, that he did not commit to that one. <laughs> so you know what I did want to pour, but I couldn't find on my shelf? Hashtag first world problems. Totally. It's just deep on my shelf. I, I, I can put 36 bottles on each shelf, and I think it's way in the back of one. Anyway. <laughs> Detail that nobody needed. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> But the reason I wanted to grab the one that I'm about to mention is there is no way I would have this bottle on my shelf if it weren't for Sam Filmus. Oh, this is good. So some, this is something that our listeners don't know. Mm. Uh, I mean, what regular listeners do know is that, A, I work for Impex, in addition to running Single Cast Nation with you. Listeners should also know that Impex imports all of Single Cast Nation's whiskeys. Yeah. yeah, we've said that many a time. Yep. 
And if it weren't for Sam Filmus fighting for us and putting oh. in good words for us, Kilhoman would never have sold us a four-year-old single cask to bottle under our label. As regular listeners know, I just moved house. Oh, guess what's at the very, very front of my bottommost shelf that's go. closest to my desk. And there it is. The only independently bottled Kilhoman that has the Kilhoman name on it. There you go. Distilled November 2007, bottled July of 2012, Mm -hmm. cast 378-07, 1st fill bourbon barrel. And I now know from looking at multiples of Kilhoman, that was the 378th barrel that they filled in 2007. Yes. Yep. They have very clear cask numbering. Mm-hmm. Well, brother, you're going to have to find it because I've got it sitting right there. <laughs> <laughs> and we will be pouring it in this episode. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, no winking. Seriously, you will be finding this bottle. <laughs> Shit. Okay. Well, we better start talking because I've got 20 minutes here. Well, let me say this then. Go ahead. You mentioned a moment ago that you were at Kilholman four days ago. Correct. And that was as part of an Impex team visit to the distillery. Yep. So you had the opportunity and the distinct pleasure to interview co-owners of Impex, Mm -hmm. Sam Filmus and Chris Udi. Mm -hmm. And what you and I have decided to do is focus one episode, calling it originally part one, on Sam Filmus and what it means to import, what it means to distribute, you know, many other things that you discussed with Sam. Mm -hmm. And that'll be the focus of today's interview. And then next time out, which we're originally calling part two, we'll focus on Chris Udi and we'll learn much more about Oishi Whiskey and Fukano, I assume, Mm -hmm. and... There'll be a discussion there about Japanese whiskey category in the United States, which I think is an incredibly worthwhile and timely conversation to be having. Well, I think the better way to put it is not that we're going to learn about Oishi and Fukano, is that the conversation is around rice-based distillate, rice, mm. Japanese rice whiskies, as well as Japanese pure malt. Now, we, we won't talk about... Japanese single malt because, you know, hopefully people understand what Japanese single malt is. Single malt whiskey made in Japan. However, the term Japanese whiskey or Japanese pure malt whiskey can be confusing because of various laws that have been in place for decades. Um, So obviously because Oishi and Fukano are part of the Impex portfolio. Those those names are going to get bandied about, but it really is the classifications of these different whiskey styles that come from Japan. Yeah, no, I think that's well put and well said, and I'm looking forward to part two when we can present that to the listeners. Yeah. But bring the focus back to part one here with Sam Filmus. Do you want to frame a little bit of what you talked about with Sam? Do you want to go into... The, the audio with Sam here? How, how would you like to do this? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, 
I mean, so, so here- <laughs> Production here's, meeting, live on air. <laughs> so here's the interesting thing when it comes to Sam and Chris, is you're dealing with two guys that run an importation company, and then Sam runs a distribution company in California, and together- they basically have exclusive rights for importation of Japanese rice whiskey from, from Oishi and Fukano. And so the way that this conversation happened, you know, first I started speaking with Sam about the three-tiered system, the challenges as an importer, the challenges as a distributor, basically how products get from the producer into people's glasses. But then there was a, a really wonderful segue from that conversation into Japanese whiskey. And so what I want to tell people is that you're going to hear the Sam film as part of it today. Like you had said, right? We're going to split it into parts one and parts two. Um, but at, toward the end, we're going to give you a little bit of a, a sneak peek into what part two is going to sound like. Sort of a... You know, you know how they do it in on TV shows, you know, on next week's episode. Do you, Marsha, take this Batman to be your lawful wedded husband? To love, honor, and obey as long as you both shall live? I do. And do you, Batman, take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife? To love, honor, and cherish as long as you shall live? I... I... Say, I do. I... Mr. and Mrs. Batman, the dynamic duo may become a trio. The Queen of Diamonds aims high. Find out tomorrow whether she misses or misses. Same bat time, same bat channel. And hang on to your rice. (laughs) (laughs) And you think, I want to see that right this second. Yeah, I want to do that. And now, (laughs) in this world of binge watching, we've lost that, Joshua. We've lost that. We've lost it. I know. I know. It's a shame. It, it is a shame, but our listeners get to experience that um, in all its glory. So so there's that. So I want to mention that. The other thing that I want to mention as well is this interview happened late at night on Isla. Oh, boy. Um, we were... <laughs> <laughs> I think we all know what that's code for. <laughs> we were... We were drinking copious amounts of of Kilhoman whiskey. Now, now, hear me out. None of us were drunk. We were just tired as hell. Oh yeah, and, yeah. And I've used that myself. You know? so yeah, huh? Right. So, uh-huh. um, I'm not drunk, baby. I'm not drunk. I'm just, I'm so, just tired. <laughs> I'm just so tired. <laughs> so, what doesn't really get mentioned is basically exactly what the three-tiered system is, right? So when we're talking about it, we're, we're, we're talking about importation, and then we're talking about distribution. Ah, uh, okay. And, right? And, but I don't think at any point we say, okay, the three-tiered system is a system wherein an importer brings in a product from a producer. That's tier, that's tier one. The importer sells it to a distributor. That's tier two. The distributor sells it to the restaurant or retailer that's tier three, right? Or tier one could be producer and then tier two, like if it's Buffalo Trace or, you know, Catoctin Creek or whatever, you know, that's tier one and then tier two being the distributor. And then again, of course, tier three being the restaurant um, or bar. So, So I don't think that that part of it gets spelled out. 
But now that I've laid that out for people, they can hear the challenges that Sam brings up, uh, you know, what, what his day in, day out life is like as both the importer and the distributor. And, and Chris, of course, being his business partner, uh, chimes in a few times as well. Perfect. Sounds wonderful, ready, very ready to share the wonderful Sam Filmus with our audience. I'm happy that I got you guys here. This is actually an interview that should have happened a while back. And I think we may have like suggested it a couple times, like, oh, Sam, we need to get you on an interview. I was so relieved when you were changing your <laughs> schedule on this, but now you caught me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> One of the many things we wanted to tackle was the three-tiered system. And so today what I want to talk with you about is importation and distribution too, actually, because you own JVS. So you can talk about, you can sort of wear two hats and and tell me about the difficulties you're facing there. And then Chris, with you, is really the part of the Japanese whiskey boom that people don't even really know about. They just know it's like, oh, Japanese scotch. That's the stuff. That's the good stuff. Since the 1980s. <laughs> <laughs> right? So but in, you have, I think, a fairly unique view on the Japanese whiskey because you're dealing with, you know, obviously with impacts importation, you're dealing with, and, and we as a whole are dealing with importation of Japanese single malts through Matsui, pure malts under the Kuriyoshi label, again through Matsui, blends uh, with Totori. And, and please correct my pronunciations. Um, <laughs> You're asking a guy from Georgia to correct your Japanese? <laughs> this is yeah, off to a good you start. Have, you have street cred, though. Your, your, your wife is Japanese. Yeah, my wife is Japanese. <laughs> you mean she doesn't give you shit if you, like, say a word? Oh, no, and, she tells me what, what... She teaches it to me, then she can't talk to her sister about me. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, Oishi and Fukano, which, you know, are a rice based distillate that I think Americans are having, you know, they're just learning. I think a lot of people are just learning about it. Some people are totally open to it, like Japanese whiskey, rice-based, that's cool. Or Japanese whiskey, rice-based, what's that? And then you've got some of the other cynics out there in the world, and we'll see how open you are to to talking about some of that. Um, (laughs) Did you want to flip a coin? See, see who see who talks first. See what we talk about first. Let Sam go first. Uh oh, senpai. <laughs> All right. Well, Joshua, thank you very much for including us in your world famous podcast. Thank you for being on it. Yeah, silently, I wanted to be there, and I'm glad that we're there to speak out about our problems, <laughs> about our achievements. Yeah, about three tier system. Uh, I would say on a weekly basis, we get two, three, four inquiries uh, from people that want to buy our brands and or particular expressions. You mean uh, like from, from distributors, right? No, just a regular consumer. Oh, I, oh so would, the consumer reaches out to yeah, you. Yeah, okay. asking, can I buy from you directly? Yeah, oh, okay. So, good news that they're looking for our brands. Bad news is that we are not allowed to sell to public directly mm-hmm. and that's what comes to this three-tier system that we have in our country importer distributor retailer or on sale customer yes i happen to run a company 
in California called JVS Imports, which is a distributor that's been in business for a good few decades, couple decades now, yeah? Mm-hmm. And also we, we run the importing, importation company called Impex. And, um, which I proudly work for. And people who, everybody who listens to this podcast with any regularity knows that I mention the name quite a lot. And yeah. so really, I'm just going to interject really quickly for those of you listening to right now. Um, Sam and Chris are the two gents that own Impex. So if you've enjoyed Kilhoman in your glass, Fukano, Oishi, uh, Pendarin, uh, Tipperary, Kuriyoshi, you know, Isle of Sky. Um, and then there are some brands from years back that, you know, we don't have anymore for whatever reason. Uh, you can thank these two folks for, for really walking the, the hard miles to, to, to bring it in and to get it into your glass. So anyway, this is who I proudly work for. I'm sorry to interrupt, but please continue. Thank you, Joshua, and we're proud to have you part of a team. You don't work for us, you work with us. And, um, yeah, especially for the brands that are not longer in the portfolio, you can thank us, and you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You probably hear a lot of complaints about three-tier system and about 750-mil bottle versus 700-mil bottle, about TTB... Uh, approving the label, not willing to approve the label, et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to bore your listeners because that's a uh, long I'm, story. But I, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to ask you to pick that apart bit by bit because they are very interested. <laughs> <laughs> you know that you've been been through that with with your labels, and there's no any exceptions. Yeah. But um, overall, I, you know, we love what we're doing. And that's, you know, challenges that we face are actually something that we welcome and uh, are proud when we are able to overcome. And if not, mm-hmm. we just it's another battle that at the end of the day, we're going to win. So L- let me ask you this. Okay. If you wouldn't mind. Yeah, I think you explained the three-tiered system pretty well, right? The, the only way a consumer can buy a bottle, whether it's wine, beer, Whiskey, gin, vodka, etc. Wine may be a little bit different because they can do direct sales. So let, let's put that to the side and just talk about spirits. Is the only way people can get it is if they purchase it from a retailer, who purchased it from their distributor, who purchased it from their importer or producer. Right? There's your three tiers: importer, producer, distributor, and then retailer or bar. Um, but if back to the importer, people are only getting it because you are placing orders to your suppliers, right? Correct. So if, if you wouldn't mind, could you, could you maybe talk about how, you know, how that works? I mean, you don't have to go into incredible detail, but it's you're accepting POs from your distributors. You're sending purchase orders to, to the producers. What perhaps are some obstacles that can get in the way, right? You get, you get this unexpected purchase order for 2,000 cases of something. You mentioned it before, 700 milliliter bottles versus 750 milliliter bottles. I can already, you know, being being in this business with you, see the potential delays that can cause in, in fulfilling that order. But from the top down, how, how does that work? And what are some of the, the daily or common challenges you deal with? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you very much for wishful thought about 2,000 
case order. <laughs> I love that. British it wishes for punnies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it actually works a little bit in a different order. Um, so we bring the product in. We let our distributors, representatives in the territories know what's available, send them all the information, and um, get the POs and uh, fulfill them. It's easy. Yeah. Very simple. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, 20,000 feet up, I think, is simple. However, everybody knows, whether whether it's on our level as importer and distributor, it's also on the consumer level. People know where they live, right? You, you have enthusiasts that want to get a whiskey, but they live in a control state. Or, they, you know, they live in, you know, a franchise state maybe where a brand is trying to, to, to switch distributors and they can't. And so maybe there's a period of time where that product doesn't get into that state anymore. So could you maybe talk about some, some of those different states and, and what problems they, they sort of present? And are, are they impossible situations? Are, they, are you able to potentially overcome them? And you don't have to talk about specific states. Uh, because <laughs> I don't want to get you into any trouble, but if you can touch on that a little bit. Well, as you brought up, um, franchise states and control states, markets, um, basically franchise status, if you appoint a distributor to sell this brand in this state, hmm. the franchise state would now not let you switch the distributor for whatever reason. You don't like how the distributor performs, whether they don't pay or they don't order or they order not enough or they don't pay attention to your brand. Whatever reason, you cannot switch the distributor. As to control states where the liquor board or ABC department acts like a, one of the tiers wholesaler, again, there's some challenges there where people who live in the states order something that they want out of our portfolio and... So the state would order it on a special order basis. Then there's another stage when you your product is listed and et cetera, et cetera. So again, challenges are here and there because you're kind of tied with what you can do to make sure the product gets into the consumer's hands. Mm-hmm. That's where the challenges uh, yeah. basically and, take And then there's some states, and I think it's maybe Minnesota or one of the other M states, where if you submit your label for approval to the TTB, and let's say the label says 46% alcohol, but when it came time to bottling, and it, let's, let's say it's, you know, you're bottling it at cast strength, when it came time to bottling, it actually came to 41%. Now you can't sell that whiskey in, into that particular state because the ABV has to be correct. Yeah, you said you're not going to mention the states, and you just said M states. Uh, I, I, many states. <laughs> oh, many. Insert editing capabilities right here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say mm, Missouri. <laughs> M- um, yeah, good point. Um, this is the only state where if your label is approved on a federal basis, yeah. And it says 46%. And for whatever reason, as you bottle it, you know, the natural strength, it comes at 45 or 47%. The federal law would let you into the country. However, if you want to sell it in Missouri, the label 
that contains ABV should be exactly the same as whatever is in the bottle. So mm-hmm. if it's you have a federal label approval for 46% and it, the spirit turned out to be 45%, you cannot sell in Missouri. You have to resubmit the label to TTB with the correct ABV and only then after that you can sell it in Missouri. And by that time, maybe your distributor doesn't want it anymore. It's not even that. They might want it. For example, single cast nation. Uh, Everybody we wants that. We know, we oh, know yeah. this. <laughs> by the way, don't forget to pass $3 to me for mentioning single cast nation. <laughs> Check your bank account. I, I, I Venmo'd you. Yeah, except cash, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> buy me a drink. The problem is, in, in single cast nation, we probably a good example as a being an independent bottler, and they bring one cask at a time. We bring it to the country, and by the time we go through this nonsense of resubmitting the label and having an approved with the ABV that matches mm. what's in the bottle, the cast is gone. Sorry. Yeah. Yep. And and you know we feel bad because we have some good relationship with. The retailers in Missouri with yeah. people who follow, you know, us or Single Cast Nation, and they are not able to. Yeah, and the, you know, let me uh, let me throw well, this out there too. Oh, r- real quick, that? I would chime in here. Go ahead. You know, two things. One is um, I saw Ray Davies play at the Welturn one time, okay. and he um, he got up on stage and he said, "Every time I mention the word the Kinks, I got to pay the band a fine," and then proceeded to play the entire set. I mentioned kinks after every song. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, you've mentioned single cast nation a few times. I think Joshua still got a little money in his pocket. Let's just do it a few more so we can go to a nice dinner oh, later. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I like the idea. <laughs> to his um what's important to note as a caveat to all of this is that post prohibition, the alcohol rights stayed with the states, right? Like federal set the law, but state rights supersede state decisions supersede federal law all the way down to the age of drinking. Mm -hmm. In a lot of states, the drinking age was 18 for many years, but the federal government came in and said, you know, if you raise the age to 21, we'll we'll allocate you these funds for your highways. Is that the origin? That's what happened. Louisiana fought it for a long time, which is why the drinking age in Louisiana stayed at 18 while everyone else went to 21. Eventually, they needed some new roads, so they kicked it up to go to 21. Holy crap. So when you keep that in mind and you think about the control states and states like Missouri and and other states, this is why you kind of get in control states, franchise states. This is why you kind of have this mess in the United States. Mm. And it's important to understand like the origin of where it came about and that we're in 2019 and we're still in the backwash of prohibition from all the way back when it ended in the 30s. But continue. I have a question. How does it help single cast nation? <laughs> I don't know how it helps single cast nation, Sam. How do you think it helps single cast nation? I think single cast nation needs to, <laughs> needs to do something about it. Uh, Otherwise, it won't be single cast. What nation. does single cast nation think about the situation with single cast nation and how it helps single cast nation in this day and age of trying to sell single cast nation? <laughs> Can we just abbreviate that? Not saying single cast nation. Yeah. S C N. We'll take half the payment. <laughs> Well, I will pay you in 10-year-old single cast, oh. cast strength, Firstville, Sherry, matured, Kilhoman. This is a single cast nation would have loved to have that. Uh, they would have. <laughs> I don't want to talk about single cast nation anymore. <laughs> <laughs> 
Whose class? Is this your this class? This is mine. But no, I'll, 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 I'll mention Joshua Hatton. Anyone knows Joshua Hatton? <laughs> Ring the bell. So I need to confess. I was chasing this cask from the Will's family for about two months. And okay. they would not give it to me. And then Joshua Hatton <laughs> went to the distillery. I don't know what, what he did, but we're now drinking the 10 years old Sherry cask. Impacts yes. Revolution. Yeah, this is the this was the last one. It this was released in late 2018. So here we are in 2019. And by the way, for our listeners, we are on Isla. And together we're going to be tasting uh, some new casks for the next Impex Evolution uh, Kilhoman bottling slash bottlings. So for any of you that follow these know that there are more coming. Cool. So anyway, you were kicking it back to him because we were talking about uh, Missouri and the Mm. 2%. The complication of selling in certain states. Yeah, the complication of selling in certain states. Let me ask you this, and and maybe this could be the last point, uh, unless, unless this sort of takes us down a rabbit hole. You know, before I got into the liquor business, I was also in this distribution but it was a different type of distribution. The company I was with produced industrial storage products, but the only way to sell that was to sell through distribution. Now, the company I was with had a very well-respected brand name within the industry, sort of a top-tier name that people would always want regardless, so distributors were hungry for it. So let's call that a McAllen, okay? The brands that Impex deals with small, family-owned, independent, etc. Growing young distilleries like Kilhoman, maybe not so young. Pendaren starting, founded in 99, distilling in 2000. You know, here we are, they're distilling for 19 years now. Not that young, but by the standards of Scotch whiskey, a young brand. Also, who's heard of Welsh single malt? This is the fight that we fight. So here you are working with having to sell through distribution, just like the big boys are selling through distribution, people who are selling these big brand products, I mean, people are people. They're going to want to do the easiest thing to give them the most comfortable life they can. Selling our stuff could be a bit more of a challenge, not so easy money. So what what do you, and and it, it doesn't have to be you, you could just be talking about importers in general what are the challenges of making sure that your brands or let's say it's Joe Schmo's import company their brands are getting the focus and attention of the distributors and what are the tools that you use to ensure that happens sure number one by no means we're not competing with big guys and the reason why uh, we know we're not going to win. I think that if you do things right, you will always find your place on uh, shelves. Uh, you can almost find your market share. What our approach is, and Chris might correct or um, add something to what I'm going to say, is we're we're very unique and unique in products that we represent and also unique and creative in our approaches. 
we basically go by our intuition, what our heart says that we need to do. Uh, and, you know, sometimes we would hit some bumps and, you know, regret uh, our decisions, but sometimes we would celebrate our, you know, creativity. And, uh, but at the end of the day, it's a hard work and doing things right, doing things that would not, you know, make you think that you can't look at people's, in people's eyes yeah. straight. That's basically the secret. So putting your dis- distributor's hat on, I'm sure you have all of your brands coming to you saying, pay attention to me, I'm the most important thing in your book. We think we're the most important thing, or we want to be the most important thing for our distributors, at least always focused on, just as your suppliers do. So as, as someone who's being hit from left and right and front and back of, how are you going to manage me? You, you have your team of, of sales reps. How, how do you sort of manage that? Well, good question, Joshua. Um, it, it, it'll be hard to believe um, what I'm going to say now, but I don't discriminate one brand in the portfolio versus another brand. We have probably over 40 brands in the portfolio when it comes to California distribution. And of course, as you said, every brand that impacts imports into the United States uh, automatically becomes a part of the JVS portfolio. Mm-hmm. I believe in that. I, I think if we start pushing our brands versus other brands, we're going to start feeling with other distributors in other markets the same way as our suppliers would feel if we went this road, mm-hmm. this route. Mm-hmm. Yes, it hurts when you deal with a distributor in a certain state where they think that other brands in their portfolio are more important than our brands. Mm. So what we do, instead of confronting them, we just look for creative ways as to how to bring the attention of this distributor or their sales reps to our brands. Mm-hmm. Fighting that never works. That's my personal opinion. And okay. okay. just need to be creative. Okay. I would chime in here. I would say no. it's consistent no matter which hat you wear. If you're wearing your import hat or if you're wearing your distribution hat, the way he fleshes it out is kind of like more of the soul of the company. Mm-hmm. But if you flesh it out in like a cold-blooded manner, our, our job is to generate revenue for our clients and mm-hmm. to help their growth. And as a supplier, that is, that is really what you want to do for whoever your client is. Yeah. If, if your client's the importer, I'm sorry, if your client is the distributor, you want to help them grow in their markets. If your client is your retailer, you want to make sure you help them grow. And it starts by, you know, customer service, bringing good juice to them, mm-hmm. education, and connecting the client and potential clients yeah. to the source of where they can procure that whiskey. A great example in JVS is it in the growth side is we helped them with whiskey and then we started to bring the mezcal because it was transferable for the same group of consumers and okay. new groups of consumers. Okay. So that we feel that we live in a very wonderful time where you have a lot of options that you didn't used to have years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. And, and the growth of the industry is one that because of an added skews into the industry because mm-hmm. there's so much to be had, it's going to push the quality of everything to go up. And so as long as we're the ones providing really, really good quality and we're helping to make sure everyone understands why it's really good quality and, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth, then that's the key to the success. Okay. And so we try to make sure that all our guys on the JVS side and all our guys on the impact side are able to provide that service to our customers. And just as importantly, 
provide that service on behalf of our suppliers, right? Because that's really what they want at the end of the day is they believe in the juice that they make or they wouldn't make it. They want to make sure that their representatives in the markets that they are, mm-hmm. their agents are, are preaching the gospel of what they're trying to do. And that's what we're happy to do. And that's yeah. where we, that is what we break our backs on to make sure at the end of the day is the number one focus. I think, what do you think? Yeah, it's pretty well said. Yeah, good. Is, is America alone in fucked up liquor laws? <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't really speak to other countries. You know, before I came to America, I never dealt with alcoholic beverages industry. Yeah. So uh, I'm pretty sure there's some rules and yeah. some people who break these rules and depending how, <laughs> how creative they are or how strict the rules are. Yeah. We're one of the few, as far as the sizes go, <laughs> that complicate things. <laughs> well, I know, you know, I know that Canada has, you know, their the LCBO, and you know, basically the the different provinces. It's almost like our control states, uh, but then you've got Alberta, which is more open. You've got your privately owned stores and things like that. But um, like up in Edmonton. Bars have to buy from retailers. They can't buy from, the, you know, the national dis- distributor. You know, things, you know, sort of silly, crazy things like that. That happens in Texas too, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So you mentioned something about um, the three-tier system affecting spirits, ex- well, affecting everything, but spirits specifically, wholly, yeah. specifically, exclusively. But um, you can buy spirits from certain distilleries, and yeah. And, take bottles home with you just like you could with wineries. Yeah. So uh, there, there is opportunity there, but yeah, I would say most of the stuff that's bought is done through the three-tier three that, system. That's actually, that's a good point, and I'm glad you brought that up. I wasn't thinking about that. It reminds me a bit of a, a conversation Jason had um, with the people from Southern Distilling. They're out in North Carolina, and when they first opened their distillery, you know, they're distilling stuff... That, they distill their own stuff. They also craft distill, and they also buy in stuff and mix it with their own whiskeys and so on. But people would come to visit their distillery, but they were only allowed to... I think the way that it worked was someone can go and buy a bottle from your distillery, and you log in that you have bought that. And if you come back to that distillery within the same year, that distillery legally cannot sell you a second bottle. Now, that law has changed, and now people can buy, I think, up to four or five bottles within a year. But it's interesting how even even when you get outside that three-tiered system, you have some other silly law that... My comment to that, you ever watch the show Archer? No, I know of that. I don't know. One of the things is, do you want bootlegging? Because that's how you get bootlegging. (laughs) 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 My goodness. Yeah, it's crazy, right? It's, it's amazing that it, it it even goes outside the the box, the three tier box. But again, not our concern, right? Like, no, it's just, yeah, yeah, we yeah, operate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and these are laws like, like what you'd said before about highways. That just blew my mind. Like, I'm only ninety percent sure about that. You have to Google it later and maybe cut that whole side out. <laughs> no, you said it with such confidence; it has to be real. Well, that's what someone told me when I was all mad because I was 18 and couldn't get a drink no more. <laughs> as long as you believed in this story, yeah. and you take it through the years. 
what you described now, Joshua, about candidates, mini scenario, what's going on in the U.S. Yes, there's a state control, which is LCBO, I believe it's. Yeah. yeah. And then there's some open markets and some provinces that would sell the booze to the restaurant through the retailers. Texas is a great yeah. example. So uh, we, we just were talking about a couple hours ago about what we're going to do in Canada mm-hmm. uh, with Greece. And um, we're going to look into into this in 2020, probably. So exporting into Canada? Well, basically finding an importer in Canada. We we have one importer that covers part of, of the country, but we want to expand specifically with one brand that Chris will talk later okay. about. Is this, is this breaking news? Oh, no, not really. Just... This could be the perfect segue. <laughs> you are a mastermind, Sam. Well, this is not your maybe first it's a rodeo. segue, but I would I would just chime in that, like from my point of view, as far as the different laws in the different states, yeah, it's outside of the scope of personally my concern. Like they do what okay. they do, and it's just our job to service each individual market the way they set it up, right? And so, just, so at the end yeah. of the day, Texas, you know, Texas is what it is. Yeah. I'm not a guy to go change it. I'm a guy just to make sure I service that market in the manner it needs to be serviced yeah. in the correct manner. And that's what that's you know that's what we do. So if it's a control state, we try to work with it to make sure it works the best and and, and grumble a little bit, but you can't let that bog you down because at the end of the day, you got bigger things to focus on. Mm-hmm. I think for the consumers who are in those states and they they might feel like they're missing out on something. That's rough, I know. Um, you know, I'm from a state that used to couldn't buy alcohol on Sundays, which is always a little bit weird for me. But for, let me put a pin in that really quickly. This is such a like your first off, your southern accent is great. Is it coming out? But I don't know. <laughs> is it coming out? That's funny. But you just said you used to couldn't. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't detect my accent. Thank you. Wait, you have an accent? I haven't heard this. <laughs> Anyway, continue. I just I, I I wanted to make sure the listeners. Well, I reckon I ain't got no more to say about that. Now, do I? <laughs> so okay, so you're there to say we have suppliers slash clients who count on us to sell to our distributors, and if our distributors have crazy state laws that need to be dealt with, those are the cards that were dealt with. And it's our job just to work with it and not grumble about it. Yeah, I think so. Okay. So I mean, again, at the yeah. end of the day, our business model is very simple. Yeah. In a sustainable, honorable fashion to connect our suppliers to their end users. That's what they expect of us, and that's the service we hope to provide. And to make sure that as we do it, everything we do complements each other so that you know, people know that when they're dealing with impacts or yeah. if they're dealing with JVS if, as in regards to California, that it's there's a reason to be doing business with us because they're going to get good juice yeah. and we're going to help them get it to the right mouths. So I'm going to throw this at you. When I first got into whiskey, and I'm still this way, when I, when I, start, when I stop and I don't think about SKUs and like, you know, items to sell and things like that, it is this magical thing, right? There's a reason we all got into it. Or even if you didn't get into it for that reason, there's a reason we fell in love with it, right? And when, 
you know, if I'm sort of putting myself in the shoes of, of our listeners and hearing what you're saying and saying, yep, that's right. But the whiskey dork in me says connecting suppliers with end users says, where's whiskey and all of that? And so like, where do you, like, this is just a personal question because I know for you, right? You're in plowed, right? Whiskey, you're more of a whiskey dork than most people I know. And I'm talking, I'm pointing and talking to this ginger boy in front of me. (laughs) Like, do you find, has any part of that, you know, that person in you who fell in love and continues to fall in love with whiskey, do you find any of that is lost in it becoming a connecting suppliers to end users? No. Uh, well, yes and no. The only parts, as far as being a, an anorak... That's is, a good word. Yeah, I like that I word. I like the word better, too. Is um, I've gotten... On a personal level, I've gotten disgruntled a couple of times because of the 700 and 750 issue, okay. where the United States uses the 750 mLs and the UK uses, and most of the world uses 700 mLs. Because mm-hmm. I felt like in America we got left out of a few bottlings where the the whiskey producer couldn't be bothered with having to switch up the glass, right, which yeah. is understandable, right? Like yeah. it's arrogant of us to think that everyone should do it our way when we're one of only what three countries that use that format, yeah. maybe four. So that has annoyed me a little bit. But outside of that, you know, maybe I've missed out on a few things because of something here or there. But there's so many wonderful things to be had that you can, you could go swimming forever in a lock of whiskey and, and forever find something new and enjoyable. Yeah. And maybe you miss a few of the currents, but there's, there's still so much to love and so much to, to enjoy that it's, it's fine. Like it's just... Don't focus on the negative. Focus on what brought you into it, why you love it, and continue to explore that area of it. Mm. Because if you're looking over, if you if you're worried about the fear of missing out on something, then you know you're not focused on the best part about it, and that's yeah. the awesomeness of when you get something really killer in the glass, right? <laughs> We're living in the age of FOMO, yeah. fear of missing out. That's yeah. a tough one for people to grapple with. You can't. It's not meant to be possessed, right? <laughs> the essence of the spirit itself is something that you consume and then and then it's gone. Lose and then it's gone, right? So you yeah. can't, you know, you can't gullum it. You gotta, you gotta enjoy it and just move on. Yeah. What about you, Sam? Like, well, I'm enjoying this ten years old <clears throat> single cask. <laughs> oh, that went wrong way, but that's okay. Still good. First of all, thank you for mentioning SKUs and sales. And welcome to the club, Joshua. And <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> we did it to you, but... You did it. I enjoy you guys enjoying things like laughter whiskey. Mm. Uh, different tastes, different profiles, different distilleries, uh, different markets. I also enjoy our relationship with our suppliers. They're wonderful people in this part of the business that we cannot take away from this. This is, to me, to us, yeah. I'm sure to you guys, very, very important. So, yes, I'm probably more on the business side of this, mm-hmm. cost, quantity of cases, etc. but I enjoy you being yeah. really whiskey geeks and on the rocks and lovers. Yeah, and I, and I definitely see that, and I'm glad that you know you you almost you come out and admit it. But at the same time, 
you know, there's some business owners that will say that, but they don't know the widgets they're selling. You know the widgets you're selling and quite often know the history of said widgets. And if you don't know, you want to know so you can learn and so you can teach. So I think you're being a, maybe, a, maybe a bit modest. I know um, we don't want to sell bad widgets. The fuck those widgets. <laughs> I hate those widgets. I would say to this, Joshua, that I'm not afraid to ask you, and I ask you a million questions, and I enjoy being around you because you're a Wikipedia in, 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 when it comes to whiskey, or to call Chris and ask him some weird, silly, stupid question. I have no problem with that. And I enjoy working with people who are mm. professional, who, who know much more than I do. Um, yeah, I'd like to know what I'm bringing in and what I'm selling. Otherwise, if it's something good, you guys would bring everything. So mm-hmm. what, what I'm going to sell, right? So <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> I'm not sure, Jason, if there are proper words. There are enough words, enough kind words to use when thanking Sam Filmus. Whether it's for being part of this podcast or for being our import partner since the very beginning. 100%. Right? Uh, or just being a good friend. Uh, Absolutely. Right? Uh, he's, yep. 100%. Yeah. yeah. There, there are many, you know, we've talked about this before. The whiskey industry is comprised of, as the Scots, as, as Glaswegian Scots would say, comprised of a lot of good and he is probably, <laughs> he is easily one of the best. <laughs> he understands what you're communicating with this, right? <laughs> I think so. I think so. Given that we started with everyone's a bit of a bleep sometimes. Yeah. And, and now we're saying, no, 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 we love you, dude. Yeah. No, he, he, is, he is just a solid person. Oh, there's no doubt. No doubt. Uh, yeah, which, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, we can go on for a while. We can probably create a third episode, which just talks about how much we love Sam Filmus. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> I know. It's so true. One of the things I love about seeing him is just telling him how much we love him. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> yeah. Just... <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, so, so thank you so much, Sam. And uh, and thank you, Chris, too, because he 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 did a good part chiming in on this episode. As Absolutely, well. yeah, no, and he's been hugely supportive of Single Cast Nation as well. And oh, yeah. uh, and I'm excited to hear much much more from Chris in part two of this episode. Yeah, yeah. I think what's probably best now, Jason, is let's almost treat this as if. The two parts are combined. In other words, mm-hmm. in other words, we're not going to have news. We're not going to have mail. We won't even do a misconception this episode. You're going to hear all of that in part two. Rather, what I'd like to do here is is what I said before. Let's let's show, let's give people a bit of the in next week's or in the upcoming episode. You know, the, <laughs> I don't even tune know. in in two weeks yeah, to hear the following <laughs> in a world. <laughs> so you wanna you wanna do that and then uh, make like a, a fetus and head out. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. All right, so we hand it back over to Sam and Chris. 
And we thank our listeners before we do for listening in. And we look forward to coming back with part two. Does this mean you didn't pour the single cast nation Kilholman four-year-old? Fuck. It means I got to look for it. (laughs) Okay, hold on. Hold on. Meanwhile, at the Legion of Doom. Not now. Okay. So now that you were kind enough to go find your single cast nation Kilholman four-year-old. Yeah. So that we can officially thank Sam Filmus for helping push and represent our case with Anthony Wills mm-hmm. at Kilholman Distillery. Uh-huh. Do you now that you're sticking your nose in it? Mm-hmm. Do you remember the note that absolutely sold people on this Kilholman, and that we had on our truncated label note? Spent shotgun shells. There's no getting away from it, is there? No getting away from it. Yeah, and it's you know, <sighs> as 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 someone who used to go out shooting with my dad mm. every weekend because uh, he, he had a great collection. He was a hunter. He, this wasn't, you know... Uh, you weren't gangbangers? <laughs> he was not part of a gang. Uh, you know, he, he was a hunter who didn't like killing anything, so he actually never shot anything. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a very funny... He's had every opportunity... And decided not to shoot the animal every time he saw one, because he said it's too beautiful. I can't. I can't. I can't do it. Um, do you remember the show Northern Exposure? I knew of it. I never watched it. It was my favorite show. It remains my favorite show to this day. Hauling Vancouver, one of the characters, yeah, known legendary hunting type, mm-hmm. and then for whatever reason changes his ways, and he goes out, quote unquote. Hunting okay. with a, the barrel of a rifle uh-huh. that's mounted with a camera. Okay. And so as he brings the animal into focus, yeah. he pulls the trigger and takes a photo. Mm. Absolutely just made me think of what you were describing of your dad there. That's great. That is, that <laughs> is very cool. Um, yeah, so... So I, I never, ever went hunting, uh, but I really enjoyed shooting with him and, and shooting. He had, you know, a, a few different shotguns and that smell. I love oh, to just... Right, unmistakable. Yeah, you just pull, boom. You, 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 you kill the clay pigeon, then the, the shell, <laughs> click, click, the shell comes out and the smell... That clay pigeon had a family, man. That clay pigeon had what's coming to it. <laughs> Dark turn, <laughs> but you get that shotgun shell, and there's still a bit of smoke coming out of it. Oh yes, and that and that's it. That's it. Yeah. But I tell you what, I also sorry sorry if I clanged that one. I don't know if you heard that one in the background. Um, I don't know if I've had this quite as much in this in this release before. I get kosher dill pickles. Are you kidding me? I never, I've never had that note on this whiskey before, and I'm, now I'm getting it. It makes me wonder. So, so what? What year was this distilled again? Two thousand seven. So two thousand seven was before Kilhoman had a solid Buffalo Trace contract. Mm. So they were just getting barrels from you know Cooperages. Maybe they were getting it from the distillery direct. But nowadays, everything that they, that they get is, is for bourbon. 
is directly from Buffalo Trace. So it makes me wonder if this was from a rye cask, right? Yeah, it yeah, makes sense. That would tell the the tale of the of the dill. Note. Of the the dill. Yeah, very unexpected. Huh. Hmm. Okay, cool. 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 I'm glad we could share that. I'm glad we could toast Sam Filmus there yeah. uh, because he definitely deserves it. And we'll give a little sneaky peeky and, and then run the theme. Let's do it to it, man. Okay, thanks to you, Joshua. Glad you came home safe. You and I, another three weeks, we'll be back in Campbelltown and Isla. And we will be interviewing people in Campbelltown. We'll be interviewing people oh, in boy. Isla. We're going to have a lot of material. It's going to be crazy. Yep, yep, yep. Awesome. Well, cheers to Sam and Chris for their time in today's work yep. in part one. Here's to part two. Okay. Let's get out of here. All right. Cheers, brother. Chin, chin. Chin, chin. Coming soon to own on DVD. So, so Mr. Japanese Whiskey. <laughs> Son. <laughs> If that was racist, let me know. And I'll no, it's, it's just hilarious because I'm going to say, yeah, what you want to know, man. <laughs> yeah, so um, it's weird. I can't, like, when, when I start to talk about it, I, I get a little bit confused as to angle by which to talk about it because it's a very personal thing. Yeah. So as you mentioned earlier, like, I absolutely love whiskey. I love yeah. all whiskey. Yeah. I have my preferences here and there, and you know my style mm-hmm. doesn't always match with what other people are doing. But mm-hmm. but in general, like I love whiskey, and I love to watch the evolution of it and to expand. Mm-hmm. And the best way that I I can put it into words is, you know, we remember when we were struggling to sell single cask, seventeen year old, unchill filtered, really good distillery stuff. Mm-hmm. And we were selling for like $35 wholesale. And people would tell us, get out of my store. It's too expensive. No one will ever buy it. And these are casts that if they were made available to us now at the price they were made available to us then, we would just be like, okay, we are buying everything. Uh We're leveraging (laughs) the the house, the kids, the wife, everything to buy as many of those as we could. And it's... you know, as Sam and I have worked together over 11 years, we've seen this evolution of whiskey that's just absolutely been remarkable. Mm-hmm. And it got us to thinking, like, you know, if, if you look at the history of wine, they've been doing wine for, what, 8,000 years? Mm-hmm. And the first written record of whiskey is from 1494, yeah. where the friar John Cor was ordered to make eight bowls of malt by the dude out by the king and blah, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. So that's... I can't do the math right now because of the Kilhoman, but it's not yeah, You that. have to double it to get to the proof. No. <laughs> the amount of time, slick. <laughs> Everyone talks about Takatsudu-san being the godfather of Japanese whiskey, and he absolutely was. Mm-hmm. But what a lot of people don't realize is the first written record of whiskey in Japan in the same sentence predates him by, by 30 years. Wow. It goes back to 1892 to the Chicago Tribune where a guy named Takamine-san who eerily enough was a lot like Takatsudu-san in the fact that he went to a foreign land, picked up a wife from that foreign land, and kind of just did that, whereas Takatsudu-san went to Campbellton, met a Scottish bride, brought her back to Japan, and started all the wonderful stuff that he did, which was absolutely wonderful. Takamine-san came to the United States, married an American woman, and set up shop in uh, Chicago, in Peoria, Hmm. doing the diastase's process. He was in, in Illinois and I think in Peoria. 
diastasis process. Yeah, is what he called it. That's the way I read it. It's probably pronounced another way. Again, I ain't a learned man. But in my research for the project that we were working on, I found this reference to him. And what he did was he worked with a company called the Whiskey Trust. And he came to them and he said, the way you're currently malting grain or cooking your grains, I can give you a 15% better yield on the grain and give you a better spirit by using my koji process. And so the Chicago Tribune writes, Takamine and his Japanese whiskey process. Wow. Yeah. One elephant, two elephant, three elephant, four elephant, five elephant, six elephant, seven elephant, eight elephant, nine elephant, ten elephant. That was so fucking good. These are easily the best elephants that we've ever fucking elephanted. And this is great because you said exactly that the last episode and this one's better than the last. I feel like we've got full-blown elephantitis right now. (laughs) I haven't blown any elephants in the time you've been away. <laughs> How do you blow an elephant? Carefully. <laughs> How do you get down off an elephant? How? You don't. You get down off a duck. You get down off a duck? I don't know what that means. Down? The downy feathers? The soft oh, stuff? That down off into- a duck? Oh, you did it funny. <laughs> I, heard a, I heard another joke. What's the difference between a BMW and a porcupine? Oh, the pricks are on the inside of the BMW? Well, I heard it the other way. The pricks are on the outside <laughs> of the porcupine. <laughs> uh, full disclosure, I, I own a BMW. But I've I, heard that about you. <laughs> but I bought the, the model that has the indicators, which I think we've discussed in the <laughs> past. Have. <laughs> I feel like you suddenly got drunk really quickly oh, I didn't I'm just happy to see you It's been a while It's lovely to see you too mm. I have missed you Aww. It's also tough when you're in Scotland and UK and all that And I'm just kind of like well, I'm home in America <laughs> like, I'm meant to be in Scotland but, And then of course we'll be there in fucking three weeks So it's hard to get too fucking upset three weeks. I know, I know Yeah, everybody <laughs> I saw over there, it's like, oh, yeah, see you in three weeks. Okay. That's weird. <laughs> okay, let me get this, let me get this party started. 